0: You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit SouthPointFellowship.org. Like Chris said, my name is Michael, one of the pastors at South Point. Uh, before we start, if you did not uh, grab a communion cup, if you need one of those, if you would please raise your hand. Uh, we'll be doing communion right at the end of the sermon, and so uh, if you didn't, raise your hand. They'll bring that around to you. Uh, this morning, we're continuing this series called "Summer and the Psalms, as we uh, title that, Summer and the Psalms. Just kidding. So uh, we're, we're continuing with that. We're going to be doing that for the next couple of months, and so we're not going to hit all of the Psalms, Uh, But we're going to try to get through some of the key ones, some of my favorites uh, that I'll be able to preach uh, the next few weeks. And so uh, that's where we're going to be. If you're wondering, like, why are are we doing this? We're doing it to be in the Psalms just for a period before uh, we get to August. And so we're not going to hit all 150 Psalms, but we're going to be here for a little bit. Last week, we heard from my dad, Mark, and uh, he preached through Psalm chapter 2. And so if you need to catch up on that, you can do that on the website, uh, you can do it on a podcast, wherever you'd like to find that. One of my favorite things to do is is to watch NBA playoffs basketball. I don't care about the regular season. Even with a shortened season, 72 games is still way too many. Uh, But I'll watch the playoffs. I've been watching the playoffs the past couple of weeks, much to my wife's demise, and uh, she just turns on something else on her phone and puts in earphones while I'm watching, you know, the best basketball players in the world. I, I love doing that. But one thing you notice is sometimes the camera gets right down there in the huddle, during the basketball game and you're able to hear what the coach is saying to them or they interview the coach at the end of each quarter something like that and and they ask the coaches hey what do you need to work on or if you listen to the coach during the huddle what what is the coach saying to his players he's not saying something crazy that we can't understand and if if you've played ball you're not listening to the coach to figure out what are the tips and tricks for how I can be a better basketball player here's what the coach is usually saying to his players y'all need to hustle Y'all need to box out for the rebound. Make sure you're moving. You're in motion on offense. Make sure you're playing defense. Get down a defensive stance. But what's crazy is none of those things are wild out of the ordinary, even if that coach was coaching a team of eighth or ninth graders or if he was coaching a team of four or five-year-olds. They're all fundamentals of the game. And so you you watch, and this is what we need to be reminded of. This is what basketball players, even the best in the world, need to be reminded of are the fundamentals of the game. The best coaches in the world are telling the best players, box out. Keep moving. Make sure you're you're swiveling on your hips, not your head. Make sure you're staying with your guy. That's it. Same is true with most of life. If you have kids, or if you're going to have kids, if they've already grown uh, you tell your kids the same things over and over again. You don't tell your kids one time, stop picking your nose out in public. Don't eat your boogers. No, you have to keep telling them that. And some of y'all are way too old for us to keep telling you that. The same thing is true if, you're, if you like to bake, if you're in the kitchen. I asked my wife a couple weeks ago when I was thinking about what are some of the fundamentals. She was like, make sure you always add your eggs last if you're making a cake that way they're not, they're not beaten too hard and they become stiff and the cake isn't fluffy and moist. I'm like, well, I didn't know that. But for her, that's just a fundamental, and she makes the best cakes in the world. Uh, it's, it's, it's just like, man, this is really simple for us. And so not everything that we experience in life is some extraordinary experience. It's not like, oh, I found this brand new knowledge. Most of our lives are based in fundamentals, and we're just often needed to be reminded of those things. So as we go through the Psalms, my dad mentioned this last week, but here's the big picture of the Psalms. It's fundamental. The Psalms invite us to connect with our transcendent God. That's it. You're like, we need something like a little, we need something a little more extra. You don't understand. We've already, we've already got that part. We, We need something else. Well, the Psalms, they remind us and they invite us to connect with our transcendent God. That's what we're going to see. That's it. And this is not, by the way, propositional truth. For most of us, we really appreciate propositional truth. But I would encourage you, as we walk through the Psalms, as we look today at Psalm chapter 113, as we look next week at a variety of Psalms, I think it's Psalm chapter 67, as we walk through those, this is not propositional truth. This is experiential truth. It's experiential. That we don't read through the Psalms and just get to the end and be like, okay, now I understand this psalm better. Thank you for the information. On to the next psalm. No, the psalms are there for us to experience who God is and to be in relationship more deeply with Him. The way that the Old Testament puts it in Deuteronomy, it, it's what we call the Shema: uh, Love the Lord your God with all your, love the Lord with all your God with all your, heart, soul, and mind. And then Jesus adds what, and all your strength to that. Right. Well, at South Point, and, and other churches do this as well, but, but we would say to love God with your head, your heart, and your hands. And we just got through going through a series on spiritual gifts. And I would say, by and large, like one of the strengths of our church is that we love God with our heads. We, we really enjoy good information. We want good theology, and that's good. I'm not knocking that at all. That is a very good baseline starting point. I also think that we love God pretty well with our hands, most folks in here are on a serve team, going through the spiritual gift series. People are like, "Man, how do I engage? How do I actually use these gifts tangibly, physically for the sake of the body?" But but I think if I had to consider where our church is and consider where I am, I think I often love God the least out of those with my heart. And that's because I'm much more about, hey man, as long as I know the right stuff, as long as I have good theology, as long as, I have, as long as I have right ideologies, as long as I can defend this, we're going through the Psalms. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. This will be up on the screen. If you want to take a picture of it, or I can text you this later. Spurgeon says this. The deli-, he said this about 150 years ago. The delightful study of the Psalms has yielded me boundless profit and ever-growing pleasure. Common gratitude constrains me to communicate to others a portion of the benefit, with the prayer that it may induce them to search further for themselves. In other words, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I, when I go to the Psalms, I'm able to understand, man, this is the grandeur, this is the transcendence, this otherworldly being, God. I get to see who he is, but it also compels me to tell other people about it. That's the purpose of the Psalms. We don't just go with the Psalms and say, man, God is so great, awesome, now on to my life. No, Spurgeon is saying, and I would agree, that the reason that the Psalms are there is so we can say, man, God is great. I've got to tell somebody else about it. That's why, as we go through these Psalms, how it is impacting our hearts. So we're going to answer a couple of questions. The first question that we're going to answer this morning is, what are the Psalms? These are real simple questions, uh, but I think it's necessary for us to understand, here's the book that we're looking at. As we go through what are the psalms? So uh, the, the first thing that psalms are is, is they're songs and prayers of praise. Okay, real simple. Just all of the psalms together as a book before we jump into chapter 113. Psalms are songs and prayers of praise. And if you look, a lot of the times when we just sang this, praise the Lord. So psalms, the word psalms, comes from the word, the Greek word, psalmoi. Everybody say psalmoi good job now that comes from the hebrew word and the hebrew word to praise means hallel everybody say hallel Hallel. okay i can say a little bit louder than that say hallel Hallel. good job because when we say praise we don't just say praise unless we're a church right so uh the word hallel old testament hebrew means to praise now some of y'all are like is that same thing as halal That's a a little bit different. Halal is actually an Arabic word, and it means something that is permissive. Okay? A little bit different. This is Hebrew. Hallel. It's where we get the root word for hallelujah. Now, hallelujah, what what about the yah at the end? Well, the yah at the end of hallelujah is the beginning of Yahweh. And so, hallelujah means praise God, praise Yahweh. Now the word "hallel" to praise, means to exhort, to make much of, to shine light on, to brag on something, to boast in something. It also means to to act crazy, to act insane is another word. It, It doesn't make necessarily sense in our minds, but when we're praising something, we're giving everything to it, every part of our being. And so psalms are songs and prayers of praise. Psalms are also, it's a, it's a wide-ranging collection. It's not just one book from beginning to end. You don't read it like a narrative. It, it doesn't tell a, a singular story. It was written over hundreds of years. It's a wide range collection of a ton of chapters, 150 chapters. Now It has the longest chapter in the Bible. It has the shortest chapter in the Bible. Who knows what the longest chapter in the Bible is? Chapter what? 119. Who knows what the shortest chapter in the Bible is? Say it again. 117. Good job. And so they're right there, almost side by side. Psalm 117 is only two verses long. Last week when I asked that question in Locust Grove, somebody said, Jesus wept. And I was like, good, good try. Uh, That was really cool. But it's a wide ranging collection. It was also written by a variety of authors. It was written by um, possibly even dozens of guys. We know the Psalms of David that are really popular. David wrote the Psalm that we're going to be looking at today. Asaph wrote a lot of Psalms. Moses wrote Psalms. Some of the Psalms, we don't even know who the authors are, they're anonymous or in the French, Anani-Mu, but they're, like, we don't know who they are. Sometimes different folks get together like a hip-hop collaboration. It's like this guy and this guy, they got together and wrote these psalms. Some of them are like the Partridge family where it's like the sons of David wrote this psalm. It's all over the place. There's one guy, he's a one-hit wonder, and he only wrote one psalm. He's in there just once, and that's okay. That works for him. He's still getting the royalties off of that, but in heaven, of course. So, but we, there's a variety of authors written over thousands, sorry, hundreds of years, Tons of authors. We don't, it's just a wide-ranging collection. It's kind of all over the place. It's also all over the place in the fact that it's a variety of genres. And so there's tons of different styles. The number one genre that we see in the Psalms is probably the one that we would prefer to avoid the most, and that's the Psalm of Lament. The Psalm of Lament. Now, what that means is most of our Psalms. Are actually written by emo artists and so if this is like a throwback for some of y'all you're like ah, now I gotta paint you know one fingernail black and grow my hair out and wear a beanie and start hacky sack whatever that is but most of them are emo psalms here are the other ones so psalms of lament there are some private psalms of lament and that's just basically saying man god I am sorry there are corporate psalms of lament we are sorry there's a psalm called an imprecatory psalm, and we see some of those, and we're gonna be preaching through some of those. But an imprecatory psalm is God, I was hurt, and I want you to go hurt that guy really bad and make it hurt. That's, you're like, is that in the Bible? It is. It's like, how do you deal with that? I don't know hopefully chris is preaching through that one i don't know there are psalms of thanksgiving here's something very tangible that god has done he has given us grain he's given us water he's given us rain for our crops this has been a good year or maybe here's what something uh something that god has done for us but there are psalms of thanksgiving there are psalms of praise all of the psalms of praise relate directly to the character and nature of god there are psalms of salvation history. So again the psalms are written after the children of Israel have been have come out of Egypt. And so these retell, here's what God has done for us, mostly recounting the acts of Moses uh, and God bringing them from the hand of the Pharaoh. There are psalms of public celebration. These psalms would be if they were enthroning a new king. Like, man, this is this is great. Let's celebrate what God has done through this king. There are psalms of ascent. So, uh, whenever the people of God would go into the temple, they would sing these psalms as they ascended the hill of the Lord, and as they approached the temple, they would sing these psalms together. And then, lastly, there are psalms of wisdom. You may be familiar with the Psalm of Wisdom. We use this in our culture. We use psalms, songs of wisdom all the time, and this is just instruction for life. And so some of the psalms are instruction for life. Y'all can finish this song for me. Clean up, clean up. Clean up, clean up. That's a song of wisdom, okay? (laughs) Kind of. That's not in the Bible. You're like, which psalm is it? I've got to find that real quick. Same idea. They sing these psalms as reminders for instruction for life. Oftentimes when we, read, when we read through the Proverbs, the Proverbs are just really short snippets. And it's like, if you do this, this will happen. Okay, next topic. If you do this, this will happen. Okay, next topic. Kind of as you go through the Proverbs. But I would encourage us not to treat the Psalms the way that my wife often treats the radio dial in our truck or in our car. Because as soon as we get in the car, uh, oftentimes, and she's, she's matured in this area, she doesn't do it as much. Uh, but oftentimes when we were first dating or married, it was just like, boom, seek. She's like, oh, I love this song. And she'd sing it for about 10 seconds and then boom, on to the next one. And then she'd sing it for about, she knows the words to every single song that's ever been written. So she'd sing it for like 10 seconds and then boom, I'm tired of that one. I'm like, yo, if you like it, like, let's just listen to it. Yeah, but what if something else good is on too? So let's not treat the Psalms like we're not just boom, hitting one thing to the next. We have to understand the the story, what the author is telling us in each one of those Psalms. And then also, why are these, how are these Psalms connected to each other? And so if, as we read Psalm 113 in just a moment, we have to understand Psalm 113 goes with Psalm 114, which goes with Psalm 115, 16, 17, and 18. Like all of those Psalms together are a collection of Psalms, and they just happen to be right there. And so I would encourage you, as we read the Psalms, don't treat them as just, here's a line, here's two lines. Hey, just there's a context for that line. Understand that context, read, develop that. The next question, so besides what are the psalms, why do we need the psalms? Tim Keller said this. This is a little bit of a longer quote. He said, The psalms were the divinely inspired hymn book for the public worship of God in ancient Israel. Because psalms were not simply read but sung, they penetrated the minds and imaginations of the people as only music can do. They so saturated the heart and imagination of the average person that when Jesus entered Jerusalem, it was only natural that the crowd would spontaneously greet him by reciting a line from a psalm. All theologians and leaders of the church have believed that the psalms should be used and reused in every Christian's daily private approach to God and in public worship. We are not simply to read psalms. We are to be immersed in them so that they profoundly shape how we relate to God. The Psalms are the divinely ordained way to learn devotion to our God. So they inform, yes, our heads. Sure, our hands, here's how you live. But most importantly, why do we need the Psalms? To inform our hearts. So Psalm chapter 113. Go there with me if you would. Psalm 113, he begins. I'm going to read the whole Psalm and then we'll go back and break down each section. But he says this. If you see at the top right there, uh, the, the bold letters, if your Bible has that, that's what's called a pericope. It's just like a header for that chapter. Uh, but it says this, the, the pericope is, who is like the Lord our God? And as we, as we read this, uh, and I mentioned this before, but whenever you see the word Lord in all caps, often throughout the Old Testament, what that means is they're literally saying Yahweh. So in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. That's the word that's there. The Chosen name of our Lord and Savior, the God who created the world. This is not just a Lord of a house. This is not just simply Elohim, which means God. This is the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh. So he begins with this, praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. The first reason that we need the Psalms is to help inform our worship. To help inform our worship. So if you go back and look at the beginning, it begins with praise the Lord. And he says this three times. Hallel, hallel, praise the Yahweh, praise the Lord. Maybe your translation, I've got the ESV, but some translations actually right there put the word hallelujah. That's the word that goes there is, is hallelujah. Praise, O servants of the Lord. So even here, this word servants, we think, okay, yeah, servants, we all serve God. They would understand this to, to mean that they were slaves in Egypt, but now they are servants of God. Now they're being led both in private worship and in public worship by these this Levitical tribe who were designed to lead them in worship. These are the priests were the servants of God, but he says we all get to serve God because we're no longer slaves to Pharaoh. So he says, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. The na- like, that's weird. Or what does that mean? Or that's interesting. But even more so to our, than our culture is to those in the, in the Near East, uh, in this time, a name meant everything. In a name was wrapped up someone's history, someone's identity, oftentimes what that person did, that person's character. If I were to say someone's name right now, you'd be like, oh yeah, yeah, I, I know that person. Or, oh yeah, I I really enjoy that person. Simply based on a name. There's a lot wrapped up in a name. So he says here, praise the name of the Lord. Verse number two. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When? From this time forth and forevermore. So praise God now and praise him forever. And we see this echoed, reverberated through the halls of Revelation for all time. This is what the angels are doing. And this is what we're going to be doing gathered around the throne is worshiping and praising God. His name, who he is, is to be praised and worshiped forevermore. Verse 3. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. He's saying, when you rise in the morning, may the sun remind you to praise the name of God. And when the sun goes down in the evening, may you be reminded to praise the name of the Lord. When when the sun rises over here in the east, and it sets, I think, in the west. um, I'm, I'm directionally challenged, I apologize. But when it says he's saying, the name of the Lord, wherever the sun touches, his name is to be praised. So he's saying it's to be praised for all time, in every place, every single day. Praise the name of the Lord. It informs our worship. It also informs our theology, the way that we view God, what we understand about God. Verse number four, the psalmist David says, the Lord is high above all nations, in his glory is above the heavens he, he's higher than any of these other idols any of these other false gods that these nations around the people of israel would worship his name is higher than any of those he is the one who is worthy and we think about god sitting in heaven it's like hey what is heaven going to be like well god is going to be there true but right here the psalmist says god's even bigger than that so whatever your view of god is if he's in heaven god looks down on heaven he's bigger than that He's more vast than we can even understand. Verse five, who is like the Lord our God? And in the Hebrew right there, that's actually a question, rhetorical question in and of itself. In our translations, we have a comma, but right there, it's just like, who is like the Lord our God? Who? Name it. You can't. Nobody is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth. He doesn't just barely look down. He's not barely in control of all things. He's not barely worthy of worship. He looks far down. The Psalms are meant to inform our theology, understanding who God is. This is his character and nature. Not only does it inform our our theology, but it informs the way that we pray. Look at verse number seven. He raises the the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Now, now we've gone from right there between those two verses. We've gone from a transcendent God. The Psalms invite us into a relationship to connect with a transcendent God. Maybe you've had a, a transcendent experience in your life. Maybe you've been to a, I remember one time I was at a, I was at a, a concert uh, back in the early 2000s. And I got in there early. I was really close to the stage. There were tens of thousands of people at this concert and it may have been Michael W. Smith. It may have been Audio Slave. I don't know. It was one of those concerts. Uh, so I, was, I got there early. I had to listen to some bands that I didn't really care for. And then it was time for the main attraction. And there was this huge curtain all the way around the stage that they pulled up. And it was just like, man, the anticipation, it, it, like, it, was, it was growing, it was growing. And I was about, 10 to 15 feet from the front of the stage. Place is packed. I mean, you're just standing there. I've been standing there already for like four or five hours just to see this band. And then all of a sudden, you hear, the guitar, you hear Tom Morello hit his, hit his first chord and the curtain around the stage just drops. And it was transcendent. It was just like, man, this is, like right now, I can, I can feel that, because it's just like, man, this was an incredible, otherworldly, almost experience. And I sat there just in awe of watching these guys sing and play for a few hours. It was fantastic, and I left, and I couldn't hear anything. It sounded like there was wax paper over both my ears for days. I was like, I'm, I'm done playing music for the rest of my life. Thanks, guys. But it's one of those experiences, maybe you had something like that. I was, we were in Costa Rica several years ago for our anniversary, and I remember going on a, on, on a zip line, and uh, we were about a mile up in the air. We had to climb through these trees and, and go from one to the next, and it's just rolling hills, and it's beautiful, and we're barely standing on this tree, uh, that, you know, this ledge that somebody who probably uh, was making minimum wage had built, and you know, we're, we're looking down, we're like, man, I hope this is secure, and we, we attach our, our harness onto this long rope, and the guy says, this is about a mile and a half long. And I was just like, man, this is this is kind of scary. But as we're flying out, zooming out across, and you just look around, it's like you can see all of all of Central America. It's it's remarkable. I'm like, man, it's, it's just it's hard to breathe. It takes your breath away. It's transcendence. It's maybe you had an experience like that. That's transcendence. It's just like, man, this is incredible. It's overwhelming. And so the first few verses talk about the transcendence of God, but here it switches, it kind of turns on its head, and it's like God is transcendent, but he's also imminent. He's also near. He's also right here with us. He doesn't just stay up there looking down on the heavens and the earth, but he enters into the need of these people. So we can worship God in this great theology that God is huge, but he's also right here, he's near, he cares for his people. And so that's where it turns right here. The Psalms are kind of like Wikipedia pages. They, they, they grab information from all over. And so as you read through the Psalms, a lot of times it's grabbing someone's prayer from another part of the Bible. And so right here as we read verse 7, he raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make him sit with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. This actually comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2. This is Hannah. Samuel's mother and this is before she has actually had Samuel and she prays this prayer and so the psalmist David says man this is like Hannah's prayer back here a few hundred years ago here's here's this prayer we're going to use this here also this psalm is quoted by Mary the mother of Christ in the book of Luke this is what we call the Magnificat it it comes here but it all comes from here because this is a prayer of praise and here's what he says he raises the poor from the dust who, who did Christ come for? Luke chapter 4, it says that Christ came for the poor. He doesn't come for the rich. He came for those who are needy. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. Literally, that means the trash heap. And around the city, they would have these, these gates and they would put all their trash outside in these big piles. And every so often, they would just burn them. And so these piles of trash became piles of ash. And so he says, if you've been to a third world country, Maybe you've seen this. I remember driving around Uganda, and we would come up on these piles of trash they would have outside the city, and a couple of times we just saw dead bodies laying on these piles of ash and of trash. That's just, it's it's nasty. We had people, we had kids who would come dig through our trash that we had burned, and they would find little AA batteries that we had thrown out. Now, these kids only had like a shirt and a pair of sandals on, that's it. They didn't know what electricity was. They didn't know what running water was we didn't have paved roads within eight hours of us but they wanted those those little uh, AA a batteries they had nothing to put them in so when we think man these people are poor th- that's what we're talking about he came to the poorest of the poor they have nothing he goes from transcendence down to eminence really quickly verse 8 he makes them sit with princes with the princes of his people he gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Whatever your station in life, if you're, if, you're, if you're incredibly depressed, if you're sad, if you're grieved, if something is wrong in your life, which there's plenty of things, whatever that is, we can respond to God's transcendence and imminence the way that Hannah does, crying out, God, would you please do this for me? Please have mercy on oh my soul. We can respond with this prayer. And if things are going great in your life, man, that God is so faithful. He's so good. Respond with these same words in the way that Mary does, the Magnificat. Praise the Lord. He has raised us up. So the Psalms inform our prayers, but they also inform our emotions. Because you see there in verse number 9, he does all these things, and then what is this woman's response? It is joy. This woman doesn't say, well, that's what God did. Let me give you all the information and the details and the facts about it. No, she says, man, this is fantastic. I, 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 I'm, I, I can't say anything except praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I have nothing else but to respond with, but just, man, praise the Lord. Have you ever been overwhelmed by something to the fact that it affects your emotions? I went to the Braves game this past week with my two boys. People are overwhelmed with emotion while they're there. We, we can't help but respond that way. The, the Enlightenment, the Western specifically, Enlightenment has told us that emotions are bad. Oh, boy, you crying? Get up, walk it off. Put that bone back underneath your skin. Rub some dirt on it, you'll be fine. Don't be crying. I'm going to scooch around this way, you know? If somebody, you're like, man, that person's just exuberant. I wish they were more like me. I wish they just walked around and had like just this plain Jane look on their face. That's the kind of people that we appreciate are the emotionless people. But the Psalms say that our emotions help us connect to the character and nature of God. Because God gave us our emotions. He gave us our hearts. Emotions, by the way, the, it, we, we, we connect that with the hearts. But the root word of emotions is Motive. And so our emotions are way more motivational than we realize because our heart is what drives us both in our actions and with our emotions. So why do we need the Psalms to inform our worship, our theology, our prayer, our emotions? The last question that I want to, or the last point that I want us to see for all the Psalms, but specifically for Psalm chapter 113, and then we'll connect to that, is that the Psalms point us to Jesus. The Psalms are all about Jesus. We see this, and I put a a variety of passages here of how the Psalms point us to Jesus. Most of them hundreds, if not even over a 1,000 years before Christ was born. Here's how the Psalms point to Jesus. The Psalms point to Jesus being the son of David years before he's born. When Jesus is tempted by the devil in the wilderness, what does the devil do? He quotes the Psalms out of context by the way but how does jesus respond to him with the psalms the psalms are there when christ is in the middle of temptation the, christ, uh, the the psalms are what jesus spent most of his time or a lot of his time teaching about he spent he quoted the psalms more than any other old testament book and even in luke chapter 24 luke says that the psalms are about jesus jesus spent time teaching the psalms In the middle of Christ's rejection, rejection, we see this foretold in the Psalms. Christ's betrayal by Judas is prophesied in the Psalms. Christ's suffering, you see those chapters right there, chapter 22 of the Psalms. It talks about his suffering, his crucifixion, which by the way is hundreds of years before the cross was even invented. We see the Psalms pointing to Jesus. It talks about how he is forsaken. And as Christ is on the cross, with the the Father's back turned to him, what does Jesus do? He cries out the Psalms on our behalf. Jesus could have said all kinds of things. He could have called down a thousand angels. He could have created his own prayer right there. But he prays the Psalms on our behalf while he's being forsaken by the Father. The death of Christ is foretold in the Psalms. And this is the beautiful part, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we see it even in the Psalms. The Psalms are all about Jesus. So it's not just the fact that we get to connect to Jesus through the Psalms, but it's the fact that God desires to connect with you through the Psalms. This is not just, hey, well, this is, this is really interesting. Thanks for, the, thanks for the walk through the Psalms. We appreciate all these references. No, what I want us to see is that the only way that we can have a relationship with God the Father. This transcendent God is through Jesus Christ, his son, who lived for us. He identified with us in his life so that we could identify with him in his death. He died the death that we deserve to die. He took the wrath of the Father on himself. He took our shame, our sin on him. He identifies with us. He was buried in the ground after he died for three days, and then three days later, He was risen back to life through the power of the Spirit. That's how we can come to intimately know God the Father, is through God the Son, Jesus Christ. And that's why the Psalms are important, is because we know God better when we read the Psalms through the perspective of Jesus Christ. We've just seen here that, that God is worthy of all worship. God is worthy because he is over all time. We saw it in verse number two. He's over all places. We saw it in verse number three. He's over all human power and authorities. We see it in verse number four. He's he's higher than all of these things. God is both transcendent and imminent. God is above all creation, yet he wants to be right here with his people. The greatness of God is shown in how he cares for those who are ungrate. Here's how the beauty of the gospel connects us to Psalm chapter 113. That in all of this greatness that we see about God, He still cares for us. The greatest being in all of the world, in all of creation, in the universe, high above the heavens, has stooped down to care for us. That is true greatness in caring for the ungreat. Jesus Christ proved His greatness by becoming small himself the incredibly high infinitely high has been reduced to become significantly small the huge has become little the strongest of the strong has become incredibly weak that's what jesus christ has done for us to bridge the gap between us and the father the same god who hung the stars in the sky invites you to be in relationship with him That is amazing grace. That's something that we cannot conjure up of ourselves. He invites us to be in a relationship with him. Now, for some of us, that's a little scary. You're like, I I don't, I don't know if I actually want to do that. Because our view of God, oftentimes, is a really safe view of God. It's really safe because we keep God up here. If we can understand God propositionally, informationally, academically only with our minds then we actually don't have to have a relationship with him we don't have to enter in and actually connect to god we see this in our lives all the time some of us are scared to read this of our view of god and i would encourage you this morning family you may be thinking of god in the wrong way he invites you in to connect relationally experientially intimately with him Here's my favorite part of Psalm chapter 113. My favorite part. This was that that about 450 years before Psalm 113 was written, the children of Israel were actually slaves in Egypt. We talked about that. And so God sent Moses in to redeem his people from the hands of the Pharaoh. You may be familiar with that story. You can go back to Exodus and read it. But, But they left the slavery that they had in Egypt. God took them from the ash heap, from being barren, 400 years of slavery, God stepped in and said, I want to redeem you. I don't want to just sit here and he could have gone, poof. All right, now you're free. Egypt is no longer a country. No, he steps in and says, let me show you my power through these 10 plagues intimately. He shows up in a burning bush, come and know me. But then he doesn't just redeem his people and say, okay, don't mess up again. No, what does he do? He says, I want to give you a promised land. I want to give you this place. Instead of being barren, I want to give you children. Instead of being in an ash heap, I want to give you milk and honey. And not just that, not just I want to give you a nice place, a nice new dwelling. He says, but I want to come and make my dwelling among you. I want to come and literally tabernacle among you. I want to come and be among my people. So as we read Psalm 113, it's like, man, God stepped in and did this for us. It gets even better. Because now, sitting right here in 2021, we don't just look back and say God is right here among us, but we have the promise of Jesus Christ's finished work in the fact that one day we are going to be dwelling with God in the place that he has built and created for us. Not just the fact that God has come to dwell with us, but that we get to go dwell with God. And that's because a transcendent God has become near. He's become imminent. He's become intimate with us. That is a gracious, powerful, merciful God. Now, the folks in the first century understood this a little bit better. So about 1,000 years after Psalm 113 was written, we have this continuation. So at the end of when the, when the children of Israel were free, we have what's called the Passover, In the Passover is when the the Holy Spirit came down. And if you had the blood of a a goat on your door, uh, of a sheep, then the Spirit would pass over and not kill the firstborn in that family. So it's a reminder of, man, God is powerful. Look at what he has done. He's He's coming down here with us. They continued this Passover tradition for centuries. And every time they sat at a Passover meal, they would begin the meal by reading Psalm 113. And so we know that Jesus, the night that he was betrayed, they sat down at this Passover meal that they did once a year. And when Christ was going on the cross on that Friday afternoon, the Thursday night before, when Jesus sat with his disciples, Judas still at the table, Jesus sat and he read Psalm 113. That's what, that's what the children of Israel did every single year is begin with Psalm 113 because it's a reminder of the transcendence of God, the unknowability of God, yet the imminence the intimacy that God provides for us because of his gracious work and power. So here's what I want us to do. If you have your communion set there, I want us to take this and I want us to hold this in the same way that for centuries even before Christ, the children of Israel did, and that Christ would have done right there with his disciples. I want to have Psalm 113 up on the screen, and I want us to hold these elements in our hand. We have here the broken body of Christ, and there are lots of things that we can praise God for, amen? We can look around, but the number one thing that we can praise God for is that Jesus' body was broken for us and that his blood was poured out for us. And that even today, when God the Father looks at us from high above the heavens and the earth, he doesn't see me, he doesn't see you, he doesn't see your sin, your work, your terrible thoughts, what you've looked at on your phone this past week, the way that you've spoken to your children or to your spouse, the way that you've, you've cheated on your taxes or the way that you've, you've cheated your employer at work, he doesn't see all those things. He sees the blood of Christ covering us. And Jesus Christ is right now mediating for us at the right hand of God the Father. That is reason to praise the Lord. Hold those elements there in your hand. I want us, with that vision and focus, I'm going to read Psalm 113 over us this morning. And let's consider the grace and the mercy of Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations in his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who is seated on high, who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes with the princes of his people he gives the barren woman a home making her the joyous mother of children praise the lord family christ's body was broken for us he told his disciples he said take and eat this is my body Praise the Lord. We praise the Lord that his blood was shed. He told his disciples shortly after reading that chapter right there. He said, "And take and drink all of it. This is my blood shed for you. Wherever you are this morning, however you came in here, in the deepest of sin know that the mercy of Christ goes deeper still if you think that you have got life all figured out if nothing in your life is going poorly if it's going all according to your plan just know that eventually your plan we're gonna sing in just a moment between now and then I'm gonna pray let's express not just our words that are on the screen but our hearts to God may Christ be all in the way that we live, in the way that we speak, in the way that we interact with our transcendent God. Father, we love you and thank you for this chance to to read this passage and to know who you are more and more. We pray this morning that you would transform our hearts. That you would be all that we need. Father, we pray for those who are in sin this morning, who are stuck, who just can't get out of that mire. We pray that the Spirit would move in their hearts, that they would repent because you are worthy. We pray for those who are struggling with loss or with grief. Even in the midst of the ash heap, may we say, bless the name of the Lord because he is worthy we praise your name. May your name be exalted and glorified and praised in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we speak to one another, in the way that we spend our money, in the way that we spend our time. I pray that we would be drawing nearer and nearer to you each and every day, each and every morning, each and every evening. May the name of the Lord be reflected in the way that we live. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.